Hello, and welcome to Locutors of Trek, the podcast where we talk about the people, places, and things of Star Trek. So, replicate yourself a Romulan ale or your synthesis selection of choice and join us far beyond the stars. Locutors of Trek. Program initiated. Enter when ready. Jolon True. It's me, Davin. And me, Dave. Also known as Plain Simple Tailors. And Locutors of Trek. Thank you for finishing that sentence for me, Dave. You're welcome. I like <laughs> to jump right in there. <laughs> Today's theme is justice. Now, justice is an abiding concern for the human species. The eminent ancient philosopher Plato or as some in the ancient world called him, the divine Plato, defined justice this way. He said it was to do the things that pertain to oneself. He was talking about it in terms of an ordered society where people took on specific roles in which they could best flourish. Now, in some ways, that sounds a little bit like the Federation to me. People mm -hmm. go into the directions and don't have any uh, economic reason to not pursue their interests and their gifts and develop themselves in the directions they choose. So there's a certain consistency there from that very ancient foundation out to at least some of the federations or at least the human contribution to the federation's values. Mm -hmm. But justice, like beauty, can often be in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to make our way to court in various types of places and, uh, Think about what is just in the infinite diversity of the Trek world. But first, why don't we explore the idea of our dream crew? Oh, how can I do justice to this? On, perhaps, dream concept oh, vessel or okay. what have you. Right on. Okay. So we've got a few positions to fill here. Mm -hmm. We'd have to set ourselves up at least a general bridge crew plus a couple of the other staff that would normally be coming sure. through there. So that means a captain, first officer, science officer, tactical, security, engineering, a doctor, ops, con, and a counselor. We'll Where leave off we officer because there's only two to choose from, and the position itself has been absorbed into yeah ops, into other bridge roles. Tactical, yeah. So we're really doing a sort of a, a more 24th century oriented bridge crew here. Yeah. Or at least what if. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this is like a what if in a way. What if yeah. you and I. Could staff our own starships. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I suppose in that case, I would have made a different choice for captain. and I would have picked captain me. <laughs> but existing existing characters only. Yeah. No captain Dave, even though that, I would, I'd watch that. See? Paging CBS and Paramount. Captain Dave. Star Trek's. Newest offering in the fall of 2021. So, which captain did you choose? This is going to be a huge surprise. Picard. You? I can't say I'm surprised. Is my surprise going to be any greater with your choice? Jellico. No, no, just, no! No, just kidding, I'm just kidding. I, I'm, I actually mean, you know, that, 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 that Bolian guy. Oh, yeah, the Bolian guy. The He's guy, great. The, the Bolian Very guy. Very captainly. I, I choose him. <laughs> Good old Captain Riggs. Captain, no. Um, of course, it's Benjamin Sisko. I'm kind of approaching this as what's the show I want to see. Okay. I could watch a TV show with the characters I want mm -hmm. just to see the different dynamics. Sure, sure. Ben Sisko. Ben Sisko. All right. Lovely. Now, first officer. 
My first officer is Raffi. Nice. I think she would work well with Cisco for one thing, because he's sort of the um, tactical guy, ponder the philosophy and repercussions of all his decisions. He's not the kind of guy to go out and like, find the information and things like that, whereas mm-hmm. Raffi has shown that she's just like magnificent at that. Yeah, that's and, true. And has a compulsion to do it. Sure. Where Picard, you know, his calls are just like, so I know you're researching the thing. <laughs> Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> so I, I would just really love to see those two act together, actually. Mm-hmm. It would just be a really great That'd be really dynamic, I think. For me, first officer, um, I mean, that's a position that's got to take the whole ship, including the captain, in hand uh, in a certain way, right? Or at least have them in view all the time. And so it requires a good head on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And the person I'm picking has had two good heads on his shoulders. It's Data. Data, the first officer. Yeah. Picard Data, you know, it's the way it always should have been. Picard Data would work very well, I think. They never got the chance. No, it's true. It's true. But yeah, I think uh, I think Data would be an excellent first officer. I don't know where you're putting them, but they make all kinds of sense leading the flagship of the Federation. I don't know where you're going to put them. We'll oh, save sure. that for the end. But Unless we're talking, you know, later years Picard, who nobody in the Federation likes. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Security officer. Security officer. Okay, now this is not tactical, this is security. Oh, wait, did I say security officer? Science officer. Science. Oh, oh, oh. Science. Not the sweet science, just science. Just science. Um, For me, Mm -hmm. this is, uh, again, well-rounded crew member who has tons of experience. Um, Jadzia Dax. Mine as well. (laughs) I mean, honestly, for me, it was a toss-up between Jadzia Dax and Spock. Me too, Uh, actually. You know, I, I, Spock would have been a wonderful addition to any crew in the modern Trek era. And he's the one character that can really transition that way, you know? Uh, I'll explain later why I ended up with Jedzia over Spock. But I was having the same. Sure. Uh, well, that's pretty much all I was going to say about Jedzia, if you want to... Well, no, it's like you said, several lifetimes. She brings... I mean, except in certain moments, Cisco and Raffi, they're a serious pair. Uh, Jedzia lightens things up a little. And oh, through sure. her lifetimes of experience, she's confident enough to do so. Yeah, yeah. And I think that bridge and even the wider environment could use Jadzia and a good science officer. I can see that. Sure, sure. How about tactical? Tactical. I chose just because I wanted her on the bridge somewhere. And this is the position that makes the most sense, I guess. Mariner. Mariner. Oh, right on. I wanted her on the bridge somewhere. I couldn't have her at ops because you can't have her coordinating things. Oh, my God. And, I mean, she can do everything. She's a good science officer. I even considered her for first officer, but she's just not. It would No, it would be a disaster. Cisco wouldn't have that. But, yeah, so have her at tactical. She's good at that. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. When you need a tactical plan in the heat of the moment. Mariner's the one that has it. So yeah, she's, she's, she's perfect she's, for the she's role. good at stepping into those sort of crisis moments, for and sure. And I want to see her and Jadzia hang out. <laughs> they talk to all the guys that you can see their brains. Yes, they, they would. <laughs> they so know f- the same transparent skull guys. See? Yeah. Bode and his friend Today. Today. Yeah. We'll see him today. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, for me, a tactical, uh, because we just did not see enough of her. Tasha Yar. Wow. I really loved that character. Mm-hmm. It's really unfortunate that... Crazy backstory that never really got Yeah, the crazy backstory lot. was pretty difficult. But yeah, she was just uh, really well characterized and an interesting uh, friendship with Data as well, which I found really great on screen. Not just the sort of Naked Now episode, but the ways in which they they become friends after that. 
moment yeah. as well. It's pretty beautiful. And the trinket he keeps of her with the holographic. Yeah. Image. It's very, very sweet. They bring yeah, yeah. that up in The Measure of a Man, I believe. Absolutely they do. Mm. Yep. Ops. Uh, ops. Uh, for me, uh, I would, because I like to see him on the bridge or at the sort of ops area, I would put O'Brien at ops. Oh, wow. O'Brien at ops. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I mean, you'd have to convince him to do it. That's true. I'll bet you Picard would you be or a fun Cisco part of the story. Him. Fun part of the story. How do you mm-hmm. get him away from engineering? Well, I really enjoyed a lot of those scenes that uh, he had um, on the Defiant, mm-hmm. where he could partake in some of the bridge discussion in yeah. a different way, even than he does in Ops on DS9. Right? Sure, they start doing the charge of the Light Brigade. And... Oh yeah, 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 just beautiful, right? Yeah. Uh, you really see O'Brien, the soldier, coming out again there, even while he's leaning more heavily all the time into his engineering. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I would, I would put O'Brien at Ops for me because I don't want to rob him of his promotion. Worf, he's an ops guy now. He's a strategic operations officer on Deep Space Nine. Sure. Or not now, I should say. Who knows what he's doing in Picard time. Uh, Yeah, ops. Worf's good at ops. You know, you don't want Worf at tactical. It feeds into He actually spent a decent time at ops before before he took over tactical. That's true. He was there quite frequently. Worf, and I love Worf. I want him on the bridge. Fair enough. I love him and Cisco together. Mm-hmm. In fact, that Worf's kind of a little intimidated by Cisco, and Cisco <laughs> finds that hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, if we're already at Ops, what about Khan? Khan might be an obvious choice. I don't know. I picked old Tom Paris. I, oh! I do enjoy Tom Paris. I like his nostalgia, and he just adds different kind of interests and things to the environment to the crew i hear you i'm not just interested in his job and starfleet things he's just Mm -hmm. like hey let's watch a movie or let's uh yeah that's true he's an interesting character we don't get to see him except in the first episode at deep space nine just in regular places not in the delta quadrant strand that's true plus he can he's a hell of a pilot that's true well uh my pick for uh con is also a hell of a pilot as a silky smooth voice. Good old... Oh, my. Sulu. Oh, my. That's right. Oh, my. Hey, Haru Sulu. Yeah, can't go wrong. Indeed. Swashbuckler. Great sword fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes is him from Undiscovered Country. Fly her apart, then! Oh, yes. Love it. <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in the whole franchise. Fly her apart, yeah. sir. Fly her apart, then. And he's just looking at that guy like you better fly repart I'm Just coming over there right back. now like, <laughs> holy crap he's a great captain oh yeah he is and he's yeah. well, it's what he always wanted he's just like I want the next big ship I want the next, the next yeah. better than Enterprise I want the big thing I want to caption it and he got it so. yeah yeah it would be interesting that would be an interesting uh, character just to see more of just have a whole Sulu series it'd be great okay uh, engineering. Oh. oh, I know we don't have the same one here because I kept O'Brien there where he wants to be. Ah, uh-huh. engineer. He can keep everything together, working good. Well, I have LaForge, but he's a you know he's a he's a man of the people. His crew loves him. He's a union man. He's, he's a he's a hero like Sean O'Brien. <laughs> That's right. Thirty-seven bullets they found him. <laughs> he was a union man. hero. A union man. Better than a hero, a union man. That's right. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah, I would have put LaForge in engineering. Uh, uh, I love that, watching LaForge work. It was between O'Brien and him for me. And I just went with the chief because I just love 
it's a bit more humor to him than in the forge. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh Not that it's all about the humor. Jordy keeps that keeps things running good. Oh, he's very just keep him out of the holodeck. Ship shape and business like. Oh yeah. Oh, so now I think we've got only a couple of positions left here. We've got security chief. Doctor and counselor. Doctor and counselor. Yeah. Well, how about your doctor? My doctor uh, is a character I don't think really gets enough love because, honestly, he was involved in one of the worst episodes of Star Trek ever, Flux. Oh, Flux. What's the worst episode you're talking about? When, when He's mine oh, as well, by the way. The dog gets Flux. sick <laughs> and Archer spends the night in sick, man. There's all oh. like the tongues. Like, it's all kind of gross. I thought it was hilarious. I like but that It episode. gets a lot of... Does it? It gets a lot of flack, that episode does. When he tries, when he's pretending to be the, the falcon to like, scare the... <laughs> that, he's oh, like chasing I, the bat around. Oh my God. I love that episode. I love episode. that episode, but I love everything with flocks. I just um, love flocks. Yeah, I, I think he's, I like think he's marvelous. Smile he can do from like... Oh, yeah. Um, and his, his, his openness yeah. to the whole of the world is just Every, absolutely yeah. delicious. Oh, well, this will be interesting. You know, he's... Like, he's, doesn't he's it bother gay. you being he's away very... from all your people and being stuck with, you know, a different culture of humans and stuff? And you know how they are. They're a bit uh, underdeveloped. And, like, he's just like at first, but, you know, I got too used to it. And now I uh, quite enjoy the company of my human colleagues. Like, he just sees the bright side of everything. Like, <laughs> he you know, really you know. does. Oh. He's, but he's great. Man. Actually, he's got the one of the best episodes too. of Enterprise, too. When he's writing to the other, uh, to the other doctor. Sure, Doctor Who episode. comes into the series later as well in yeah, yeah. a horrific fashion. Oh, yeah, that's true. Now, how about your security chief? Oh, here's why I didn't pick Spock. I already had a Vulcan, and, you know, they're all kind of similar in a sense, so you really only need one on your, your cast, and it's Tuvok, because I love Tuvok. And... Did I just hear you say that all Vulcans are the same to you? No. <laughs> Is that what I said? I said this, I meant to say they're the same uh, similar type of character where they're just like the you're canceled from Vulcan. Oh my god! <laughs> no idea I see for you. We'll just, have to, <laughs> just have to not air, air this episode at all. Oh my gosh! This has been removed for harmful Vulcan. But I think prejudice. there's a reason we've never seen more than one Vulcan on the Vulcan on the main cast of a crew because they all have the same position usually. Yes, least, you know. Yes. And I mean, the role they've kind of developed in Star Trek is being a kind of foil for the more emotional humans yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. And you don't uh, really need two of those. I mean, they sort of did with Tuvok and Seven. A little bit, yeah. And that was fine. But Tuvok's a great, oh, he's a great character. But I, yeah, I love Tuvok. Yeah. He's funny, and he he, I, he knows he's being funny, but he's pretending like he doesn't know he's being funny, and it's this whole, <laughs> it's like, you always have to have the last word, don't you? No, I don't. His conversations with Neelix are particularly delicious. They're good, yeah. Oh, man. Mr. Vulcan? Mr. Vulcan. Oh, yeah. Mr. Neelix. <laughs> <laughs> great, great Calto player. True. Mm. True. Yeah. And a great meditation teacher. True. Helps keep the group calm. Yeah, he took care of Suter. Yeah, that's true. Another interesting Big character. change with Suter. Like, yeah. Suter, what a great character Suter was. We'll have to do Suter's a arc is really side interesting. talk on him. Yeah, yeah, great arc. Your security, my security officer, is like the long shot of this whole crew. It's Odo. Odo, I thought about Odo. I would love to have Odo come back and just hang out on a Starfleet ship. I can't imagine him ever doing it, which is the problem. No, so that's I don't, why I cut him. Like, I the had problem him is how him. how how you would write him onto the ship. But then I ended up cheating anyway. I was like, he's not Starfleet. I'll keep him off the list. But as you'll see with our next one, 
<laughs> this is Counselor? Yes, Counselor. But yeah, Odo be good. He's yeah, Odo be great. Great actor, good character. Mm-hmm. My Counselor, uh-huh. not in Starfleet. Oh. Nor would ever be in Starfleet. Who is it? But if you need somebody to soothe your weary soul or your weary bones, the person best equipped to meet those needs is obviously Quark. Not a counselor per se, but one of my favorite quotes from um, the Menagerie, or therefore the Cage, Mm -hmm. in their TOS, is the doctor in that. He's giving Pike a drink, and he's just like, what are you... My bartender now? Because he's the doctor. And he's just like, nope, but we get the same type of clients. People who are living and people who are dying. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not so different. A counselor and a good bartender. And Quark takes it very seriously. He does, oh, and you can see him doing that That's kind of he, thing uh, with people you know, sometimes. But grudges right? war He's like, you know, he doesn't, uh, doesn't really share much with his bartender. Yeah. Yeah. You get to spend some useful Ferengi advice. Mm-hmm. Keep humans from eternal destitution. Which is important. Yeah. Now, my counselor is, uh, again, not not in Starfleet. I really, I, I mean, I really love Counselor Troy as a character. Me too. I almost put her on um, And her, her appearance in the Nepenthe episode of the first season of Picard was just amazing. Just, oh, so, so, such so a good. beautiful episode and a script. And she played it so beautifully. Uh, yeah, Marina Sirtis, man. Mm-hmm. A plus. Yeah. My counselor uh, is Guinan. Uh, different uh, kind of bartender, different kind goes of alien. perfect with your Picard captain. Yeah. That's his, that's his guidance, his guiding light a bit. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think, you know, in, in the number of effective human lifetimes she's lived, she's just garnered a lot of wisdom. Oh, you know? for sure. And she's good at listening. She's read the rules of acquisition. Oh, I'm sure she's read the rules of acquisition at some point. Hmm. Um yeah, I think Gaina would be my uh, my counselor. Now, what are your people the crew of? Well, I think this crew, except for maybe Tom Paris, but no, he would he would he would enjoy it too as well. The first Federation space station in the Gamma Quadrant. Ooh, not not a DS9 Terok Nor style because that's Cardassian, but the mm-hmm. first Federation. That's why they have Ben. Ben's back from beyond, mm-hmm. and then they need someone to. One, oh, be familiar with and handle the Gamma Quadrant, and That's two, know true. how to be familiar with and handle a station. He's the he perfect guy for Bajor. this thing. And he is of Bajor. Yeah. Cork keeps Raffi, Jadzi, and Tom Paris and Mariner entertained. Mm-hmm. So I had those that crazy that crazy bunch. Cause I got gotcha. you. Well, at least they're not going to go stir-crazy, because Cork can get them what they need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why I had to have Tuvok in there, because my crew was getting a bit ridiculous. Like, even Phlox is a bit ridiculous. And, and O'Brien. Like, they're all a bit ridiculous. <laughs> so I needed a Vulcan sure. in there to, be, to just keep the place from falling apart. Right. I gotcha. I, Tom's I, got nothing to fly. That's my thing about Tom Paris. So. That's it's true. A, so he's there, you know. He build himself something fucking, to fly. Yeah. That guy gets He's got uh, the Delta Flyer. Pretty handy. They call it the Gamma Flyer. Yeah, that's true. He could build himself a Gamma Flyer. Gamma Flyer. Oh, this like one this looks like a minivan, Tom. CBS. I mean, you can take this idea, yeah. too. Now, I think my crew here is the crew of a ship that answers a question Picard once asked. Do you remember when we used to be explorers? Yeah. Oh, wow. A nice exploratory vessel. So I think what uh, 
these guys would be uh, on would be... Now, the ship I'm drawing this from is actually... Um, I saw it show up from Star Trek Online. So this is not my own thing, but it is a... Now, here comes the part that's not a spread. It's a refit uh, or a redesign of the New Orleans class as an explorer light cruiser called the Lafayette class. No way. It is. Yes, way. They've got more Sovereign-style lines, Mm -hmm. but they essentially keep that configuration with the two dorsal and the one ventral pods that the New Orleans class had. Uh, But, of course, they would be updated with the kinds of... uh, Exactly. Returning... So you could put a bunch of sensor pods up there and all sorts of stuff, right? And just head away on a five-year mission. Wow. Which direction did they go? Oh, first start of the left and straight on till morning, man. (laughs) Um... You know, I, I I would love to see see them head further out toward the edge of the galaxy, but there'd also be something really interesting in heading straight for the core, mm-hmm. which Things would be one would of the shorter older. routes. Pardon me? Things, civilizations would probably be older. I would imagine. You head inward. In that galactic core, because the stars are going to be older, yeah. right? Um, I, I imagine. I may be totally and wrong about that. but Things get more dense. Oh, well, sure. Just be civilization upon civilization, and they wouldn't have to get far to get there. You know, you're not in one, yeah. you're not in one species territory for very long before you're in the next. No, it's true, and you know, we really, when you look at the the galaxy we're in, we really are on sort of the outer what? Oh yeah, outer third, outer arm of the galaxy. You know, uh, there's an awful lot of directions they could they could go that would be pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, they could send an exploratory ship back through to the Delta Quadrant or start exploring what used to be Romulan space because I don't think the Romulans are governing much of that anything would be at interesting, this point. Actually. You know? Tom Luck might pop up. Yeah? Oh, he can't. Yeah, the actor's departed. Well, yes. R.I.P. Ardras Casulis, but um, maybe Tom Luck's son. Tom Luck's son. Romuluck. Babaluck. Babaluck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're bad at naming Romulans. <laughs> I thought mine was realistic. Mine was bad. <laughs> I assume a return to more episodic storytelling. That's probably best. More one-off stories in yours. I would like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, that my, my my preference would be a kind of hybrid, you know, where you can develop like some... Like Deep Space Nine, originally. Yeah, very much like the first few seasons of Deep Space Nine. That would Nine. be my model as well with this station. Yeah, so you can you can you can draw out character arcs. You can establish some things because you know if they're exploring several sectors or doing that sort of stuff, they may get involved with groups of people that they're going to meet many times, like Voyager meeting the Kazon repeatedly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or others, the Herogen or whatever it is. Yeah, I would love to do one of those sort of more like straight out exploring things. It's one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing in um, what's it going to be called? Strange New Worlds. I'm excited to see that. Me too. I'm excited for that. So, Justice. Justice. Just about every series, I think, has some episodes that tackle some form of justice, whether it be Starfleet Justice or Mm -hmm. Klingon Justice or Cardassian Justice. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of different interpretations of what justice can mean. Sure, sure. And in a lot of cases, they get into it pretty deep in certain Star Trek episodes, and they really try to explore these alien forms of systems of justice absolutely yeah and there are there are even moments where 
appeals are made to a form of natural or sort of intuitive justice mm-hmm. where they're beyond the bounds of any traditional sense of sort of a legal or even a moral or ethical framework that would be shared. I think the first time we see something like a trial in mm-hmm. Star Trek is in TOS, and that would be the Menagerie. Menagerie, sure. It's just a way to sneak the footage they had from the cage in there, but they they made it as, as a trial against Spock. Sure. And he's not talking. Mm-hmm. This is the one with Pike. Yes. In the... Uh, Famously disfigured Pike. Yes. In the little box machine. Yes. Uh, Which we see again in Lower Decks. <laughs> <laughs> I love Lower Decks. Yeah, and this is this is an interesting episode in that it, it, it it's one of the first to flesh out a concept of Starfleet justice. Yeah. And yep. it resembles very strongly military or naval tribunals. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think there's, there's uh, in the episode Measure of a Man, the lawyer who's going to be arbitrating the dispute is, in fact, called a JAG officer. Yeah. Which is uh, an American general yeah. term. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, an, it's an interesting episode in that it, it attempts to find a suitable recompense for this figure of pike Mm -hmm. for whom spike has or spock spock for whom spike uh her spock has uh oh right i forgot all about that (laughs) um yeah totally wrong yeah um anyway he's really gone uh beyond starfleet's capacity to to tolerate his acts in respect of captain pike or out of respect for captain pike perhaps Duty. Mm-hmm. Duty, of course, is a big theme in Starfleet ethics and morals. Mm-hmm. Yes, they take very seriously doing their duty. Mm-hmm. And they take it very seriously when somebody doesn't do their duty. Yes, yes. They I love a, the way that Cisco refers to it as the uniform. The uniform, I like that. I think it, it, it sums up duty, it sums up sort of respect or, or all sorts of things. that are supposed And to I think it reflects the kind of nuanced difference between like the way Picard sees it and the way he sees it. Whereas Mm. Picard always says Starfleet or Mm -hmm. the Federation sometimes, but Starfleet. Because to him, that's what he idealizes. He sees Starfleet as this great grand thing and it's what he Mm -hmm. tries to be and wants everyone to be. And like, that's his top of the pyramid. Sure. Whereas Cisco, to him, it's more about the individuals and the people a little bit. So to him, it's the people in the uniform. Sure, sure. Where he doesn't, he's not his rah-rah Starfleet, for example. No, it's it's true. It's not his top ideal. I mean, very much it is. That's what he means to a degree when he says the uniform. But to him, it's just, he really admires the people who choose to wear it. And taking that oath to Starfleet, like when he yells at... um, Oh, at Eddington. Oh, yeah. Well, Eddington, but also I was thinking Cal Hudson. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, you really see what he means by that. Yeah. And he brings him a uniform, doesn't he? Yeah, he brings it. Yeah. He's like, it's not too late. Put it back on. And he calls us. So, no, it's too late for that. Yeah. But, um, but to him, that's all it would take. Put the uniform back on. Yeah. yeah. But it, it makes all the more poignant that uh, beautiful sort of uh, staging where during his monologue, he removes the progressive layers of his uniform. Oh. In oh now I've lost the name of the episode you know it in the pale in moonlight. the pale moonlight it's it's amazing 
Yeah, as as he he progressively takes off the layers of Starfleet and is just sort of left and as... losing pieces of himself. He's exactly, pieces of himself who he thought he was. Absolutely, That's so uh, good. Yeah, and he has to set them aside because he can't like he can't be those right now. It's it's. Yeah, it's a beautiful piece of work. And, um, you know, we see, to a degree, the punishments that Starfleet laid down. Eddington, he seemed to be sent to a not-so-nice prison, kind of something more we'd see as a prison today. Where, you know, he sort of was just stuck in a cage, as opposed to, like, Tom Paris, who gets to go to a resort prison. Yeah, he's got very much a minimum security sort of a place in terms of contemporary justice notions. And then we saw what happened to Burnham, where she mm-hmm. was treated... Well, we didn't really see where she was going, but she was, you know, in she, cuffs and stuff, so they were treating her as a dangerous criminal anyway. Yeah, and it's a pretty miserable planet they're on when they're leaving, isn't it? Yeah, I think Already. so. Or they're heading to a miserable one, and that's yeah. what they're warning her about, I think. Um, you know, and Discovery's take on Starfleet Justice is, again, a bit... Uh, it's a bit bleaker in tone uh, for me, but their sense of justice... In that sense, or maybe it's their sense of the severity of Burnham's crime that's really being displayed there, that she's getting treated more like Eddington than like a Tom Paris or someone like that. But it's certainly not that far off conceptions of punishment as a means of expediating justice or expediting justice in other parts of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking of Rurapenthe mm-hmm. or the Dominion prison run uh, in which... Uh, Worf is forced to to oh, routinely sure. fight Jem'Hadar soldiers. There's an awful lot of punitive imprisonment uh, in the Milky Way galaxy. Sure. In fact, it seems to be a very widely spread phenomenon. TNG has a lot of episodes like that that are trials. Mm-hmm. It begins or, or tribunals. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Trial of for humanity, <laughs> the sins of humanity. Yeah. 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 It's a big one. It's a big yeah. place to start. Yeah, but I, I like I like Picard's <laughs> way of beginning there. That he nails Q down to an agreement about how they're going to proceed before he'll even agree to the matter. And yeah. it's one of those things that that really clues you into what kind of captain this is, and that this guy isn't Captain Kirk, but he's he has that sort of captain's boldness or captain's sort of forthrightness in a certain sense right so dave had you had the burden carried by q that day was humanity guilty or innocent q's trial is i mean specious at best but yes uh illustrating the comparatively short time it's been that humans have been peaceful at all mm-hmm. in any measure mm-hmm. is a beautiful way to challenge the in one sense challenge the conceptions that had founded the original series but affirm them in respect of saying that no the federation is not like those things what we have is a society that is remarkably different in a number of core respects. And that, as a question, like, placed as a question essentially of justice. How do we, how do we administrate just action, uh, either between ourselves or to redress problems when they occur, 
you know, that brings me back in some ways, circling back to Plato's um, definition that I quoted at the start, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the doing of the things of oneself. And in one sense, Q would be reading that to say, just stay in your lane, humanity. Stay where you're supposed to be. Don't mm-hmm. don't go out. And that's partly what he's proposing to to Picard and the crew of the Enterprise. Basically, but their reading of it is no. We must do what it's in us to do. Like the Vulcans were saying to the humans in Enterprise times. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know that that's a theme or a thematic that I think he's picked up in Enterprise, and I don't know if it's grounded in you know, encounter at Farpoint necessarily as opposed to other things, but it certainly manifests that same question again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. Uh, Thomas Aquinas begins his Summa Theologica with the same question. Mm. This is his masterwork, you know, mm-hmm. volumes and volumes and volumes long. I've got a, a copy of it at my house that I think is literally like nine bookshelves long. <laughs> uh, or, or maybe four bookshelves tall or something like that. Uh... Shelves, I mean, not the four actual bookshelves. Yeah, bookshelves work best when made vertical. It's true. Yeah. Um, He there quotes, you know, one of the Psalms or something saying that I have reached for that which is too high for me. And his objection is if it were in fact too high for us, we would not even desire it. Yeah. And I think this is one of those... I mean, he also talks about revelation and stuff, but the point that connects with... It's with like in this a theoretical sense out. with the ant on the paper. Yes. It's just like, if it's outside of your realm of experience, then yes, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like if you it's unthinkable know. for you, it's not going to show up. But yeah. if it is thinkable, mm-hmm. uh, then you can think it. And in that sense, what Picard is saying is that our horizons have broadened to the point where we can make these kinds of contacts. Sure, we're going to make mistakes. Sure, we're going to fall and fumble and foible. And, you know, Q presses this point at a, a number of uh, removes over the series. You know, when he grants uh, Riker membership of the Q continuum temporarily or when he flings mm-hmm. them out to meet their first board cube or, 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 or every time he shows up almost, you know? Mm-hmm. He's pressing this theme that, well, there's our co-pilot. Co-pilot. Uh, that, that. Our third host is here again. You know, humanity is sort of too big for its britches, but I think Picard's answer is no. The pants kind of fit okay for the moment. Yep. Uh, and it's like that, we show growth, we show de- uh, desire <laughs> to be better and. And and part of our desire, as, as as he'll say, is is to explore, is to go out and learn and uh, experience the wide cosmos, mm-hmm. and that in itself is the grounds of a certain kind of justice in the Federation, right? Like building on that Vulcan principle of infinite diversity and infinite combinations, mm-hmm. um, they try and practice a kind of respect both for all life, but also for all cultures, and so all concepts of justice. So long as they're not going to, I mean, in terms of membership anyway, at least in the Federation, mm-hmm. so long as they're not going to contravene standing Federation laws or, or values, right? You're not going to let, they're not going to let in cultures that do slavery, for instance, uh, or certain other kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know? 
TNG tackles um, human rights a lot in mm-hmm. a few different episodes, or I guess sentient rights, I guess. <laughs> sure. Probably yeah. call it. The rights of, of, of sentient beings, sure. Yeah, well, as they yeah, yeah. address, of course, in Measure of the Man. Like, what, mm-hmm. what is sentience? What kind of rights does that sentience have? Yeah, and do we not already affirm those? So why will we not extend those to this life form? Does this life form not count as a life? Why would we not want to? Yeah. Oh, yay, we get to extend that to something else. Isn't that great in our experience? Yeah. Well, and you know, the, the, um, it reminds me of the episode with the, uh, you know, the, the ugly bags of mostly water. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Those. Home soil. Home soil, thank you. Um, those little silicate entities, uh, their existence and their livelihood, once they've met these terraformers, depends on that turn of justice, right? If they're recognized as living, then these terraformers are done. Yeah. They have to completely stop and they're not going to be able to continue terraforming this world, or at least not terraforming it in the way they were planning to do up till now. Mm. Uh, and if they're not alive, then they're a, res- a natural resource and they can kind of deal with them in a different sense. Uh, but that basic distinction of animate and inanimate I think is a fundamental principle of justice for the Federation. Yeah, and then the extension of that, sentient and non-sentient. Yeah, and from there we sort of get to the prime directive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now here's a what if. Okay. And this kind of uh, is a TNG leading into Picard kind of what if. Oh. What if Riker and Maddox had won their case? Oh my gosh. What would the Picard, what would have happened and what would the Picard series have looked like? <laughs> I think that incident on Mars would have happened about 30 years earlier. <laughs> That's a good guess. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think uh, I mean, Brent Spiner would have been out of a job and that would have been a sin. But uh, He tried to put himself out of a job in Nemesis. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, it 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 would have been a dark day for the Federation. Uh, we would have seen a lot more robots and sort of droidy things showing up on starships. I think. Would we have seen Picard lose his faith in Starfleet at that moment instead of during the Romulan incident? I could have seen that. Yeah, yeah. Where that was it. That's the last episode of TNG because the, the star and captain leaves the show. We're bothering our co-pilot, I think, now with all like this time. Well, like, you know, what's interesting to me, though, is that I'm not sure that... Uh, I'm not sure they made it entirely clear what Picard's view of the synthetics was. Uh... Because he certainly seems dismayed that they're going to be shut down and disassembled. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also doesn't necessarily seem to have been uh, campaigning for their liberation either. 
and I, I can't imagine... Now, maybe we just don't see that moment in his career. You know? Maybe that's not a fight he can fight because he's mm-hmm. busy trying to save the Romulans. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But the length of time those synthetics had been in service looks to be about probably eight or ten years anyway. They're mm-hmm. pretty integrated into the workforce and all sorts of stuff. Mm, sure. Um, all the infrastructure on the station based around yeah. them working it. Yeah. But that would have meant that only shortly, like a few years after Data died, those synthetics would have been out among the stars, just galling Data's memory every day, mm. galling the memory of that trial, you know? And I, I can't imagine that sitting well with Picard. No. I don't think he would have... Yeah, I just... There would have been Dodge-type androids way sooner, and yeah. there'd be a lot of them. Yeah. It wouldn't uh, just be her and, and whether they would be acceptable and treated in the same way as the synthetics were is a good question, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because you're right. Bruce Maddox would have been doing that stuff way before he was well, able anyway, to in, in the timeline that we've seen. No, yeah, data would have been wires yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, so a real crime would have been committed. Yep. Against... An injustice. Yeah, an injustice against a, a, a whole species, as Data says it. Mm-hmm. The you species know? of one, as Picard says it. Yeah. That's true. At that point, uh, Lore is only, what, about eight months into his just about two-year trip floating through space. Yes. Um, Mr. Scott reminded us of that the yeah, other day. Yeah. That is a slow way to travel. That is, especially Although, for a guy like Lore. They were at warp when he was transported outside the ship. I guess they can they? survive that. He can survive that, I For guess? How long has warp bubble held up? Uh, not long when it's traveling away from you at warp. Comes <laughs> <laughs> to a skidding stop several light years later, you know, yeah. into real space or into sort of normal space time. And so the, the, also on TNG, though, mm-hmm. we see the drumhead, of course, which is um, an unjust trial. Mm-hmm. By a bit of a fanatical prosecutor. Yeah, yeah. And it touches on someone's human rights as far as what sort of accusations and interrogation they should be subjected to with very little evidence. Yeah, the treatment of Simon Tarsis is brutal mm-hmm. uh, in legal terms. You know, it it's uh, designed to destroy him. Mm-hmm. It's designed to inveigle the ship and to to imply that the flagship of the Federation is rife with sedition, treason, traitors, something uh, that Nora Satie will not abide. Uh, and her paranoia and her, her desire to punish come out, I think, is probably the two strongest notes in her character in the end. And one of the great Picard speeches in that one, though. We are all injured. That's true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Like, as soon as you step on the rights of one, it's just, like, you know, it's off to the races. And this, this, is a, this is a sort of implicit principle of justice that seems to me to point to the fact that in, you know, in the meeting with other sentient species, we have to be thrown back to first principles because we can no longer speak of things like simply human rights mm-hmm. because that becomes a partial view, right? Uh, and perhaps we do speak of human rights when we're talking about humans doing things. Maybe we speak about Vulcan rights when we're talking about Vulcans doing things. But how do we speak about the rights of living beings, right? 
Like the rights of a baby to go to sleep when she's very, very tired. Very, oh. very sleepy. She is quoting Picard at you and says, I will fight you! That's actually... Uh, you know, the question of how we frame moral action puts me in mind of the great categorical imperative of Immanuel Kant, right? That one should always frame the maxim of your will such that it could be a universal moral law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, when we're talking about home soil, for instance, that's the problem for the terraformers. They know themselves that if they can assent to the fact that these creatures or these silicate forms are alive, they know they have to treat them differently too. Yes. Because the whole thing they want to do is make this planet alive, you know? Yeah. Uh, their values are in play as much as the wider values of the Federation are in play or Picard's or, or anybody else on the Enterprise. But what happens, you know, when our sense of justice has to be widened lost in respect of another's justice. You know, puts me in mind of uh, Kirk and McCoy's trial in Undiscovered Country. Mm-hmm. There were a Penthe sentence. Or and our, Jonathan Archer's very similar trial. Indeed. Or O'Brien's uh, experience of the Cardassian justice system, where he's frankly told straight out that the point of this is to show the people justice in action, mm-hmm. not to deliberate about whether you're guilty or not. We've already decided that. Yeah, the, the Klingon justice system objective, at least where we see it, it's just about getting to the punishment. Yeah. It's not about the so much the grand spectacle of the Cardassian yeah. method where to make the people feel better and to see that justice is always right and always in effect, always working. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. Well, and, and the Klingons who value pain. Yeah. Right? I want to see... The death sentence. The compensatory <laughs> pain, right? Yeah. Uh, they're never happy with that Veropenthe sentence. Seems light. Yeah, they're not, they're not thrilled about that. No. Uh, but I find the um, Klingon lawyer character played by J.G. Hertzler in mm-hmm. Enterprise 1. He's, oh, he's he, so exasperated. He's, <laughs> I can't control my client, please. <laughs> Aren't you going to say anything? Or aren't you going to cross-examine him? He says, why? He won't say anything that would help you. <laughs> He's very to the point, though. He doesn't like to waste his own time. Nope. He realizes uh, it's a it's it's a lost cause. It's about appealing to the few times that you've helped the Klingon Empire and hope that they don't kill you, basically. Yeah. But then Archer ends up convincing him more of the way... Klingon society has become lost because that character says how it wasn't always that way, even recently to those times. So say, you know, 50 years before where we see the story pick up. Yeah. He's that character who's quite old, but says my mother was uh, a teacher. My father was a a botanist or something Mm -hmm. like that. And something has... uh... The warrior class took over. Yeah. Yeah, very much. They became a sort of more militarized culture and come to value that particularly. Yeah, and valorize only really being a warrior. Easiest easiest path to glory, mm-hmm. success. Yeah, and I wonder whether it doesn't, um, whether we couldn't look back into Klingon history there and see a period of cultural or economic instability that would be 
coincident with that change in values, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a loss of confidence in the system as it stands and something else comes out. I mean, you can see that happening in the world right now. There's a, there's a widespread loss of confidence in the system as it stands and varieties of ways in which people are searching out new schemes of value and so new practices and new productive practices in order to try and figure out some different way to be. Uh, and we know that happened on Cardassia as well. Yeah, that's a particularly good episode, I think. Yeah. Or is it called Tribunal? I think it's called Tribunal. I think so, yeah. Um, his lawyer is a great character, or his advocate. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Madam Archon, please. I... <laughs> I'm two months from retirement. Oh, my. He's like, Aren't you, don't, don't you ever want to win a case? He's just like, you seem great at your job. You flatter me, sir. You flatter <laughs> me, Madam Archon. <laughs> just having the worst day of his life because this one guy doesn't want to be guilty because he's not. Yeah. He's just like, no, you're already guilty. He's like, that's not the point. He's like, what is the point? Look, I don't know how you do justice on your world, but the point of justice is to make the people feel better. Right? And like, when you put it that way, it doesn't sound so insane. No. Except that a human experiencing that kind of justice... uh, The rights of the individual aren't as much of a concern for them. Precisely. And that really confronts the human values about the rights of the individual. That, that guides a lot of their, their ethics, right? Because they're always trying to harmonize individual and group, individual and group. And the Cardassians have a very different recipe for that. Uh, oh, they, Brian, they, this is the biggest the sham child like, joke of a justice system I've ever seen. Just like, good, good, keep up that defiance in the child. It'll make for great television. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true, didn't it? This is our Archon Judy. The great episode, Odo shows up as his Nestor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we see... Um, and they don't give up on him. They believe his innocence. And yeah. They, like Cisco and, you know, Jadzia, and they don't rest until they find proof. Yeah. Um, it's nice when they bring in Boone and <laughs> Madame Archon sees him. She's just like, well, this trial is over, and as we know in our court, sometimes it's important to show leniency and compassion. As you know, our courts are often very compassionate. Absolutely. So we think, given Mr. O'Brien being a family man, put him into the custody of his captain. It's a branch between our two peoples. <laughs> yeah. You have a good ending to the show. But I, I just like, this too, like, can, can, can I say something? This is already the longest trial in Cardassian history. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, will people stop talking, please? This trial is over. He's guilty. I can't believe I you missed don't my shut dinner up. plans. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's. Uh, I love that episode. The, um, yeah, the courtroom justice of the. The Klingons and the Cardassians uh, is really challenging for for humans in particular, but I think a lot of Federation citizens would find it challenging because there is widespread agreement in their justice systems mm-hmm. as to certain areas of individual rights. You know, um, yeah. The the lawyer advocate characters are always great characters. Oh yeah. And in Undiscovered Country, we get Worf, grandfather of Worf, as their oh that's true. As their advocate. That's true. So even Worf's family weren't you know warriors that long ago. They were 
in the legal system or yeah who knows what else yeah i would have liked to have seen the klingon culture before it was entirely warrior just to see what it was like it still would have been a very strong culture and Oh, sure. And they already had an empire by that time, so they were certainly martial anyway, yeah. but they weren't so single-mindedly no. homicidal um, as they do appear in, at, at, at several moments in um, the original series, TNG, DS9, you know. Another favorite uh, lawyer character of mine is played by Ron Canada in the DS9 episode. Um, is this Worf's Trial? Yeah, Worf's Trial. What's that one called? Is it Judgment? Yeah, the Klingons want to have Worf extradited Mm -hmm. for destroying a shuttle. Yes. A civilian shuttle on a mission that decloaked, strangely enough, this cloaked Mm -hmm. shuttle. But before he even saw what the target was, he shot and destroyed it. Mm -hmm. So it's Sisko's job now to defend Worf against this Klingon lawyer. Yeah. The judge being a Vulcan admiral, mm-hmm. who the Klingon says he has faith in that she will you know, award the victory to whoever, as he sees it. He sees it as this grand battle in court mm-hmm. here. He's like, the truth is not the truth. The truth is to be won. Yes. He's like, the truth is what you can convince other people it is, essentially. Yes. Yeah, it's a matter of contestation. Yeah, that's an interesting kind of difference Klingons look at justice as well. Yeah, yeah. And truth, even. Well, everything is almost trial by combat with them. In a certain sense, right? Whereas for, yeah, whereas for um, the Federation Starfleet types, justice is very much about either arbitration in terms of settling political or personal disputes, or it's about finding the facts of the matter and saying, nope, that's what happened. So now we work with that answer. Mm-hmm. There's is very much a kind of... Um, a correspondence notion of justice in that sense, right? You yeah. know, they're saying justice appeals to the truth of the state of affairs of facts as they actually stand. Uh, and that's what we have to, to work with. Whereas, yeah, this Klingon lawyer is saying, my truth is a batleth, and what's yours going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. where, how are we going to sort this? You want to step onto my battlefield. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and you can see there also, I think the point you made earlier about the transformation of Klingon culture mm-hmm. has come to roost in this lawyer's heart, right? Because this lawyer wants himself to be a warrior in his own domain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and is insistent upon putting it in those terms. Partly to try and goad Worf, I think. Yeah. But also... Which worked. To appease <laughs> his own sense of Klingonness, which is yep. now at this point in their history founded essentially in a kind of warfare as as culture, mm. which is always that battle Worf is fighting within himself too. That battle of culture, absolutely. And the lawyer knows that, and that's what he says to Worf. Yeah, were you in that moment? Were you a Klingon, or were you a Starfleet officer? Because you can't be both. And he's just like, well, I think I can, actually. Yeah. 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 Uh, and Worf's, of course, Worf's reception of Klingon culture is also going to be very different because he's absolutely obsessed with the warrior ethos. Mm-hmm. But it's Worf himself who articulates in the first season episode, um, not Sons of Honor, it's uh, Brothers in Blood or something like that, where the three Klingons come on board, one of them dies, and the two of them make that great jail escape and... Mm-hmm. Uh, he ends up down in, or Kodos is his name, I think he ends up down in engineering, 
and you know exclaims to Worf about you know we can we can you know set fire to the stars essentially right like nothing could stand in our way if we just took this ship and went with it mm-hmm. uh, and Worf essentially calls him a fool and he says you don't know the first thing about being a Klingon mm-hmm. the Klingons battlefield is in their own soul essentially yeah. right in their own spirit and that's where the battlefield that's where the overcoming that's where the conquering must occur the Klingon heart like in the, as in their ritual it's like to him the strongest thing in all the universe is the Klingon heart yeah. and the mastering and the taming and, and the d- directing of that is the great challenge and the great battle yeah absolutely the, the thing that makes Klingons this great noble thing the fact that they can do that kind of what the Vulcans do but like in a different way that's a really interesting point. Yeah, absolutely, because they have that tremendous like impetus in them. Wow. Yeah, I never really thought of that before. The Vulcan Klingon connection. Heard it here first on Locutors right. of Trek. <laughs> Hot take. But I do not like Captain Boat Day. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we do see. I mean, again with TNG because it had a lot of stuff with justice, but. Worf is subject to a lot of different Klingon justice mm-hmm. and injustice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Based on the corruption of their system as well. Now, it's not so much their legal system as their political system, but they seem to be intertwined. Sure, sure. There are legal ramifications to the kind of discommodation he's put under. I think essentially he's like not even really a Klingon citizen ultimately at that point. No. Uh, Stripped of all his lands and everything, he's got nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah. I wonder where Worf's lands were. Yeah, right. Well, I just... I assume there must be some on Konos. He talks... Well, no, who does talk about them is when Alexander comes back and visits himself. When Alexander's an older fella, mm-hmm. played by the actor who plays um, in The Defector. Yes. He plays a lot of good characters. Yeah, he comes back and he's telling the younger Alexander... Mm-hmm what the, his lands are like. He's like, you can go to your uncle's place where there's a crystal clear lake where you can see the oh, bottom right. and swim. With, like, it sounds like it's got some nice land. Mm-hmm. And like, he's like, there's mountains. And, yeah, so sounds like a pretty nice land they had that all of a sudden was taken from his brother. Like, on decision Worf made, all mm-hmm. of a sudden people are showing up and kicking Kern off the property and all his cousins and the kids. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. Big ramifications Worf did not think about at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, seeing that he didn't know he had a he had a brother. Well, I don't know. No, he knew he had a brother. He did it at that Never point. Mind. Never mind. Oh, no, he knew. That's right. You I know, mean, sometimes I mean, those... he probably knew Kern was going to catch some shit at least, but like he probably didn't expect all the lands to be stripped and everything. Yeah. But who knows? Yeah. No, you're probably right. So now there are. Well, there. Are... <laughs> well, speaking of punishments, mm-hmm. like discommendation, say, a bit cruel and unusual, I mm-hmm. suppose, but. When you, DS9 really showed us some cruel and unusual punishment with the episode Hard Time. O'Brien must suffer. O'Brien must suffer. Bec- and I agree because those are some of the best episodes of Star <laughs> I, I really love every O'Brien must suffer episode. They're pretty great. Hard That's Time true. is one of the best. Oh, God. Uh, really, Force, really shows the, the, for sure. the goodness in, of the character, too. Mm-hmm. But his his real humanness, like yeah. the real the 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 finiteness, the sort of the the fragility of him as a moral and a and a juridical individual, where he has become someone who would almost strike his daughter, mm-hmm. and the only way he can think to deal with that is he has to go kill himself now. Yeah, he's just like he 
is now so far from what he was he doesn't even know if he can get that back and he doesn't think he can obviously yeah Yeah. and it all because of this crazy punishment where they just make you i mean it's hard to even imagine it where you just live i mean it's sort of like uh the resican thing i guess where he's he's, you're meant made to live a lot of time yeah in a a small amount of time i think he was out for like they had him for like nine minutes or something or yeah. 16 minutes it was 20 or 20 years or something like that that he experienced yeah. in a cell the entire time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it the the way in which they show his deconstruction as a person to the point where you know he's he just can't take anything anymore he's just one raw nerve yeah. by the end of it you know is really brilliant and you know there are it's one of those episodes to me that connects with themes of justice and imprisonment and solitary confinement in our own world. Much like, say, Chain of Command also connects with the plight of political prisoners or those who have been, you know, disappeared into black sites or whatever, right? Um, there are ways in which these things connect to our present reality without ever, yeah, really needing to ever speak of them. The shape is, is similar enough, you know? That species didn't feel they were doing anything wrong mm-hmm. like this is better you don't actually have to humane. suffer through the time you can get your life back right where you left it off <laughs> just give you this like, turbo trauma yeah. <laughs> and now live with it but to them they don't think they're really being that traumatic either because they did seem to take into account how much more difficult it would probably be if you were alone so they give you that artificial mm-hmm. cellmate mm-hmm. or maybe that's just to see how you'll react who knows yeah. But it seems to be some sort of like lessening of the the trauma, at least yeah. in, you know, the political sense. And it may help bind the person into the delusion as well. Yeah, right. That, that there's Not something the to interact with. You keep mm-hmm. what is that what is sure. that uh, big phrase of a social media engagement? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he stays engaged all right for twenty years. Yeah, true. But yeah, it's it's it and does it can't be removed. Like, they make it clear you can't remove it. Like, they remove memories in Star Trek all the time, but these ones they make very clear. Can Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, no matter what happens, O'Brien's stuck with that for the rest of his life. It's tough because it took him back to, Keiko says, it's like you don't, they you know, took him back to his days mm-hmm. during the Cardassian War. Yeah. When he didn't like himself then, and he was worried about what he was going to become then. And he's like, he's just reliving all that again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things I think that Deep Space Nine of, of, of all the shows spends some of the most interesting time with is trauma, you know, and the way that we try and be or try and do justice to that, you know, when Nog is living in a hollow suite sure. or, um, no, I mean, just the other day watched the great uh, TNG episode again, Family. Now, we mentioned this. Okay. Last week, but we should probably put this in as a correction. Correction. We kept calling it Brothers yeah, we kept... during the Picard supplemental. But that's because Brothers is the very next episode, and it is about a pair of brothers, let's be honest. Uh, but it's we also were talking about, about the scenes mostly with uh, Robert and Jean-Luc. We were talking about Brothers. Yeah, not Wesley and his dad, not no. Worf and his family. Why didn't you ever give him prune juice? Great question. That's why Guinan's my counselor. Anyway. Hey, there you go. Um, God thinks it's job. ridiculous. Prune juice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're serious. <laughs> I have all the specs. Oh, man. I have all the I love specs and diagrams so at home. I love his parents so much. I would see Petty Officer myself. <laughs> when they ship Petty uh, much like it. They're just absolutely delightful. I love Worf's parents. Yeah, they're man. great. Uh, I have all the specs and diagrams at home. 
Can we go see the warp core? We came here to see warp. Oh, okay, 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 okay. 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 We we'll see it later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's great. Oh man, he would have yeah. been a great character on the ship too. Dang, I should have made That's him my true. engineer. <laughs> but that was that was that was our repeated mistake last time. Yes, anyways, it was. so uh, you were confused. So were we. <laughs> That's right. We thought we knew what we were talking about. Yeah. That may be a th- running theme in this whole podcast, though. Uh, <laughs> it's our turn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Um, so where were we? All the specs and diagrams. At oh, right. All the specs and diagrams. I actually do have all the specs and diagrams. At <laughs> so do I. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds. I confess, though, like if there is one thing in this world... That is like a, a paper thing that I love more than anything else. It's got to be a deck plan for spaceships that don't exist. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, well, here's a couple things we can talk about. All right. They do um, they some episodes on extradition. Mm-hmm. There's Dax, the episode Dax. Yeah. Where a guy wants Jadzia extradited for the crimes of Curzon, I believe. Yes. I believe it was Curzon, yeah. Yep. Which is interesting thing to think about as well. Uh, when does a crime expire? Yeah. And that people seem to have a similar sense to humans that there's no statute of limitations on murder. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure that human justice would, would look at that and say, well, <laughs> pretty sure Curzon Dax is dead. Yeah. I think. Uh, but it's a different intro society, you know. The yeah. Dax symbiote, he, you could argue, which he was trying to argue, was the thing that committed the crime. Yeah. Like it wasn't Curzon, it was. It's an interesting point of contention, right? Mm-hmm. If these are symbiotic creatures, is it possible that the the part that abides, which is the symbiote, could bear peculiar legal responsibility? Right? Or the host and the symbiote trade off control a bit. There are moments yeah. where it's more one than the other, or the amalgamation of both. You know. Yeah. So, well, and certainly there are moments of like that, right? When Jadzia does the um. The ritual resurfacing or whatever it is you remember the, um, the shantara yeah and her her pieces come out mm-hmm. uh oh, Odo Curzon's the best oh oh, oh man Odo Curzon is so much fun uh but you know the remember that time you took up with that girl on <laughs> it's Curzon you remember Curzon we're gonna go we're gonna go Curzon see you later uh, yeah I mean there's a moment where I think the symbiote is in one sense way more in control, yeah. even though locally Jadzia is way more in control. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always an ideal job to be the judge in some of these cases. No, no, tough. I can't imagine. There's also the time they want Riker extradited for the, and there's a bit of a Murder trial. Is that Doctor Apgar? Yeah, and he really his... does not come off in a very good light at all through that story. No, he doesn't, because <laughs> it's Riker, and it's like. They didn't. They only had to slightly twist like yep. <laughs> details to. He's like, well, that's not how it happened, really. Entirely. <laughs> no, he was mad at me, not the other way around. That's about the only difference. Yeah, no, pretty he much. came bursted in. It was violent with me, not he came bursted in and I cold cocked him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that reenaction, doctor. Yeah, I'm taking your wife and we're leaving. <laughs> Just like, oh God, Riker. Oh Riker. Yeah. Moments Will Riker should have really had a court martial. <laughs> but I remember, it's funny to see on the Kubo, you don't think Riker did it, did he, do you? I figure, I think it was Troy and Picard. No. no, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> <laughs> of 
Yeah. It was the episode Matter of Perspective, I think. I think so, yeah. Um, I guess the only other thing I can think of off the top of my head that we mm-hmm. should probably throw onto this episode is the justice of, or perhaps injustice, of taking away someone's right to die. Mm. As we see in the Voyager episode, Death Wish. Mm-hmm. Where we have very much of a trial-type setting there. That's true. It's also implicit toward the end of the first season of Picard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's implicit they haven't allowed him to die mm-hmm. yet. Um, true. Yeah. But yeah, that, that one in particular is very difficult. Again, Will Riker shows up. <laughs> We can't have a trial without Will Riker. <laughs> What's going on He'll here? He'll take any case. <laughs> Call 1-800-RIKER. Yeah. Old Iron Boots. That's right. Old Iron Boots Riker. Thaddeus Riker. Which is who he's named after the T. That's true. And they named their child Thaddeus. They named the child Thaddeus. Um, well, that's an interesting question. You know, there are some... I mean, that, that's a hot question today no, in the world. It's, it's, um, I work in clinical spaces, and the question here in Canada of what's called MAID, or medical assistance in dying, mm-hmm. which is named a bajillion other things, depending on where you are and your legal structures, is a very challenging topic. You know, um, the well, sense uh, of having a right to... Star Trek wasn't afraid to approach. No. And again, there's another great episode uh, with that. Again, oddly, with Riker in it doing exactly the wrong things most of the time is when Worf's spine is broken. Oh, yes. Uh, And he wants Riker to kill him. Mm -hmm. Which in his culture is fine. Yeah. He's like, this is completely moral. This is what a friend does for you. But of course, he was twisting that part and Riker reminded him, in fact, the... The ritual is Alexander has to do that, not a friend. Yeah. As soon as a Klingon boy can hold a blade, he is a man. Is that not correct? Yeah. That's where another instance where you see Worf kind of idolizes Klingon culture, but he only he's never all in. He's he's never got both feet in. <laughs> he's got those Klingon little pool. he's got those little human pieces in him. Mm-hmm. You know those Roshenko like not subjecting pieces. a child to having to kill their own <laughs> kill father. Their own father. Yeah. yeah. Now, mind you, there are other moments. That's interesting. Because, you know, when when Kalar dies, and then he says, look on this. Look on this. Right? Well, that was, uh, a, to him, I think that was a sign of, sign of respect to Kalar and make sure her spirit makes it to Stovokor. Well, true, but I think him him having having Alexander look is a moment where he's really... He's he's leaning Klingon. True, yeah, I see you your know? point there. Yeah. Um, and I can only imagine how little Alexander Roshenko tried to process that. You know, I think it, it's probably implicit in how we see him, how he shows up in Deep Space Nine later as a sort of not good enough Klingon. You know, I wonder if that very early wound isn't, isn't part of how that works for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of Klingons... Mm-hmm. I said the Worf trial episode was Judgment. Yep. Judgment was the Archer trial episode. Oh, okay. The Worf trial was Rules of Engagement, because it's all about that. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot more battle. sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I caught uh, that correction before having to do it next episode. Man, not bad. Fact checking in real time. Wow. Whew. You got it here, folks. Well, uh, I think we've covered uh, a lot of the more justice-themed episodes of Star Trek here. Indeed. 
The jury may still be out if we've done an exhaustive list, but uh, the verdict is in. (gasps) End transmission. Oh, well, here we are in the promenade. Klingon restaurant. Klingon restaurant, you think so? Let's do it. I suppose we did Vulcan last week. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, but this time I'm definitely not getting gawked. Last time I tried to climb back up. That's... No, but we've got a, you know, 15% chance of getting a song. Oh, well, that's true. Maybe he'll let us play. Maybe. Uh, we never had these kinds of problems back in the Negvar days. That's true. That's true. We should just translate this thing into Klingon on the way over. Let's go. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Kapla!